0: Call Simon and remember to become a member of KBU or renew your membership during the last few days of our drive. Thanks for listening. Went to my
1: doctor yesterday. I,
2: she said, I seem to be okay. said Paul you better look around how long you think that you can run that body down how many-
0: good morning you are tuned to KBOO Portland thanks to all of our listeners who have called in this morning to support community non-commercial radio coming up on the boo at 11:30 voices for the animals talks to local animal rights activists. Donnie Rukin about her direct actions at grocery stores, zoos, slaughterhouses, and anywhere else she finds animals being exploited. And stay tuned now for Making Contact. Leading up to the U.S. Supreme Court hearing on Trump's travel ban, you'll hear about the impact on people from affected Muslim-majority countries and how advocacy groups like the Council on Islamic relations are responding.
2: Kebu would like to give special thanks to our local community partners who have donated food for our volunteers today. Breakfast was provided by Brunch Box, located 620 Southwest 9th Avenue in Portland, a small casual spot for counter served breakfast, burgers and sandwiches in a cafe environment. Lunch was provided by Musubi, located 2134 Southeast Division Street, Portland's takeout spot for Hawaiian sushi rice snacks filled with house-made Spam and other delicacies. Dinner was provided by Mississippi Pizza, located 3552 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Music, trivia, and other all-ages events are featured at this pizzeria with lounge. For more information on how you can support Kebu, call 877-500-5266 right now. Dear Kebu members, this is an announcement that the Kebu Board of Directors meeting for September has changed location. The KBU Board of Directors will be meeting next on Monday, September 25th at 6 p.m. at Cider Riot, located 807 Northeast Cooch in Portland. Go to KBOO.fm for more information. I'm Monica Lopez, and this is Making Contact.
1: Since the Muslim ban was announced, our office and care offices across the country have received calls from hundreds of concerned travelers. Many of them have actually been U.S. citizens and green card holders who, though not targeted by the Muslim ban itself, are very afraid of traveling abroad and then getting stuck.
3: Nisrin Rahman was in flight when President Trump signed his first immigration ban. A Stanford PhD student in anthropology, Nisreen was returning to the U.S. from her fieldwork in Somalia. What do you think, Dad? Should I go? And he's like, you know, I think it's just better be uh, safe than sorry. He was like, I think, you know, you should go. My name is Nisreen al amin Abdurrahman. Um, I am a PhD student here at Stanford in anthropology, I'm originally from Sudan, um, but I'm also a green card holder. I'm a permanent resident been living in the US for 24 years we started hearing about this possibility of a Muslim ban and this executive order that might get signed Trump
1: put a temporary ban on travelers from Sudan and six other Muslim majority countries from entering the US
3: And my father and I were in this like very small house in this like working-class neighborhood in Khartoum and glued to the TV watching CNN trying to figure out what's gonna happen
1: I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. On the day that we heard that
3: this is gonna get signed, I decided probably within the span of an hour that I was gonna get
1: the next flight out. We only want to admit those into our country who will support our country and love deeply our people.
3: Finally get on this flight, late at night. I barely had enough time to say goodbye to my immediate relatives. Didn't get to say goodbye to any of the people that I've been living with in my field research sites. Even like my goodbye to my parents was really rushed. And it's like those moments when you're like, my father's 80. You know, he's healthy, alhamdulillah, but at the same time, it's like, I don't really know when I'm going to see him again. So I just kind of like, didn't think about that. And I just like got on the flight. And when I got on the flight, I just started crying because... It's like, you know, it just felt really strange to not know when I was going to see them again. I was born in Germany. My father um, was studying in Germany, and I grew up for part of my life in Germany. So I actually never lived in Sudan. I mean, I've gone back and forth to Sudan when I was a child, and really I'm kind of like a... A child of of the world, and you know, moved around a lot, lived in different places. My parents moved back to Sudan a couple of years ago. And so doing my field research was actually really timely because I got to spend time with them. Growing up, I actually didn't get to spend that much time with my, my family. So we've been sort of always far away from each other. I was in a, a boarding school in Germany. I was, a, you know, on a scholarship there. Had a hard time. You know, I was one of the few black students in the school. There was a lot of xenophobia at the time because the Berlin Wall had just fallen recently. You know, as these economies were integrating, a lot of people were unemployed and they blamed it on foreigners and we were having immigration issues. You know, I was like 13 or 14 and I started reading Roots and then I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and I just started thinking about how it might be to be somewhere where there are, like, many other people like me. And, and so that sort of just went to my head that I wanted to come to the U.S., but my parents didn't have the money to send me, so I kept applying to the sister school of the school that I was in and then eventually got in and, and got a scholarship as well. That was actually the boarding school that Ivanka Trump went to. The flight attendant announced my name and said, you know... Your connecting flight is departing very soon since we're arriving late. Please make your way up to the front. At this point, I'm wearing like full hijab, you know, coming from Sudan. I'm trying to, you know, saying, excuse me, can I get through? And there's this man, British man with his kids, who decides to block me from getting to the front. And I was like, excuse me, I really need to go and, you know, catch this flight. And he said, yeah, we're all waiting for flights. You're just going to have to wait. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, sir, but I really need to get on this flight. He was like, we all really need to get on this flight, like, you know, on our whatever flights. You're just going to have to wait. And he just kind of looked at me and just refi- he literally, like, did, you know, physically kind of blocked me from leaving the plane. In his head, he doesn't realize, like, I, I really need to get on this flight. Like, it's not just like I'm going to miss getting to work on time, like, I really need to get on this flight, and he just, there was no empathy. I mean, probably also no understanding of my situation, I don't know, but I also felt in that moment that he's looking at me as a Muslim woman. And, and, you know, actually what I thought about, too, is his child, you know, his son was there, and he was looking at me. Like, what lesson are you teaching your son? Get to the flight, and the person says, you know, I'm really sorry, had you gotten here two minutes earlier, you would have gotten on this flight. So I actually know that had the man let me through, I probably would have been on that flight and none of this would have happened because I then had to wait for another three hours to get on the next flight. Growing up in Germany in the late 1980s, early 90s, I was like obsessed at the time with like Prince and Michael Jackson. We didn't see very many people who looked like us resisting. Um, I was really interested in the civil rights movement and like the Black Panther Party and There was something about it, I think, that helped me deal with being a black person living in Germany and dealing with racism. You know, I'm going through security, and they're like, oh, you know, you've been selected, like, randomly selected for searching. And usually it happens before you get to the gate, but this is after. So the other person who was with me was Afghani. So we were both kind of joking between us, like, okay, random selection, like the Afghani and the Sudanese, you know. So I finally get on this. second flight. I couldn't sleep because I was really nervous because at this point I had seen on Facebook somebody post um, about the fact that the order had been signed. So I knew on the plane that this order had been signed. I mean I saw that and I was like this is what I was trying to avoid. The seven countries on this list have all been, the lives of people in these seven countries have all been impacted by US policy, US military intervention, US sanctions. And so we think of them as these enemy nations, but we don't really think about on a day to day basis how are ordinary people being affected by these policies in terms of like how they're making ends meet. You know, these are all people who like, you know, get up in the morning and send their kids to school. Like they're just like anybody else that you you and I know. On the one hand, I love Sudan and I love, you know, obviously my family who's there. And on the other hand, this regime, which has been in power since 1989, has been extremely repressive. Especially in in parts of Sudan that are marginalized, there are ongoing wars, people are being killed on a daily basis. I have seen, just over the last five years, in my own family, people go from having three meals a day to now having like one and a half meals, essentially. By the time I got on the flight, I think I hadn't slept in like 36 or maybe 48 hours. I was really tired, but I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even like watch a movie. I was just, I was in my head rethinking some of these, processing some of these feelings that were coming up for me. And I could barely eat too. I get to the airport around 10 in the evening. There's a citizenship and permanent resident lane that I'm uh, I'm allowed to go in so I go in and put my green card in this machine and there's this paper that comes out and if it's a tick then you just move through so I was like really hoping that it would come out with a green tick and there was an x through it And I remember the day, you know, I got my green card, we had like a spontaneous party in my office. Finally, I'm not going to have to ever deal with this again, you know. Still, obviously, I'm traveling on a Sudanese passport, so I still had to deal with visas. But like everything got a lot easier after that. Once I had my green card, I physically felt different. There was like this burden that was lifted off my shoulders. I remember the first time I traveled with a green card and the officer said, welcome home. And I almost started crying because it was like this moment of, wow, like I've never actually heard someone say that to me. You know, it's always like, oh, I'm sorry, I need to bring you to this area for further questioning. And so in that moment, I was just like, I'm back to this? You know, after so long, just that fear, that anxiety, even that holding area. I'd been in that area many times before. I'd been questioned many times before. I handed him my green card, and he looked at it, and he said, can I have your passport? He looks at the passport, and he says, okay, just, you know, sit tight for a minute, and he goes to a supervisor who was standing on the corner my green card actually says Germany on it and at first the supervisor said well you just process her like a normal green card holder and then as he was literally as he was walking back the person called him back and said wait a minute Um, actually you need to ask her to go in for further questioning Wow like I actually again like if I had gotten here maybe 20 minutes before I could have just gone through and the first part of the questioning was fairly familiar. Where are you coming from, what were you doing, the educational institutions I had gone to, the languages I speak. He asked me about all the countries that I've been to. And so I started, you know, listing the countries that I'd recently been to and he was like, "No, like in your entire life." The officer told me, "I don't know much about Sudan, so um I want to hear you talk about the situation in Sudan, like talk to me about the political situation in Sudan." because then he started asking me about whether or not I knew of radical groups in Sudan, you know, whether I knew people who had radical views. And he was taking notes. At some point, he came back to me and asked me for my social media handles. Then at some point, they were getting tired. It was like maybe one or two in the morning at, the, at this point And they needed to shut down that terminal. So they had to transfer us to another terminal. We then sort of got handed over to the C- Customs and Border Patrol folks who, you know, didn't know anything about us. So these two women officers led me into a room, and they told me to put my hands against the wall and to spread my legs. And then they did a body pat-down, and it was really uncomfortable, actually. And then they said they had to handcuff me because they were transferring us from this terminal to the other. Terminal that was a 24-hour terminal, since they still didn't know what was going to happen to us and knew that at that point if i'm getting handcuffed even if they're saying oh we don't know what's going to happen to you we're getting led into this van like that i could end up in a detention center so i started crying and the woman who handcuffed me was a black woman i saw her visi- like visibly like react to me crying and it was like an interesting moment because the other officer who was there with me who was not black was like cold face, no reaction. I mean, I was literally shaking. Like, I hadn't cried like that in a while just because I was scared. And you know, so they were going back and forth, and then eventually the handcuffs came off, and we were in the car together. Like, she was still really shaken by it, and I, like, leaned over to her, and I said, you know, it's okay. Like, I knew you were just doing your job. You no? um, know? Because I do not know. I was just like this. I felt like it was, in a way, a weird moment where we were both like dehumanized i could just see like there was just something in her that was like you know where she connected to to my like sense of fear and like was empathetic to that you know i think this historical moment is obviously generating a lot of extreme feelings in people mm-hmm. Including in this person and and I think there's this fear that then gets projected onto people like me When we talk about this is necessary to keep our country safe When you ask black people in this country that question Historically when have black people had the right to feel safe in this country? It just makes me angry because I just feel like It's dehumanizing to be told like what you went through was is, is needs to happen to keep our country safe who has the right to feel safe and who doesn't so then you know we got transferred to this other 24-hour area and there were other people who were being led in like an Iranian and an Iraqi citizen who they were in handcuffs too um and you know it's like this one of them was just like like a nerdy Iranian PhD student who was just—I felt like I felt his pain because he was just like, "What the hell is going on?" You know, he was like there to go study with this professor at Cornell for a couple of months and had a visa, you know, and was just like really confused. And there was this other Iraqi man who, whose wife and child were waiting outside for him, and he, I think, had been waiting forever for a visa to get reunited with them and just feeling all of those emotions in that room was like really intense you know and I was trying to help him translate but the officers wouldn't let me and I felt like in that room we were really treated more like criminals than in the previous holding area and it was like we couldn't sit next to each other we couldn't talk to each other Um, none of us were brought food and we'd been in there for a couple hours at some point asked if I could eat my sandwich and they said yes but it had to be like in plain sight and this is by this time it's like three in the morning they call you up not by your name, but they're like, Sudanese green card holder. So I, I walk up, and then he says, um, there was some paperwork that he was signing. He was looking at a computer screen, and they got a message, I guess, telling them that they could let me go. Because nothing, and he said, quote-unquote, derogatory came up in the system against you, which I'm assuming means there's no criminal record, and the interview didn't raise any red flags. But he said, if I were you, I wouldn't travel unless like, you want to go through this whole thing again. And then he just, like, handed me my passport and was like, you're free to go. And I was, like, looking around, like, is this, like, for real? <laughs> like, I'm free to go? And I just, like, grabbed my passport and, like, ran out, you know? <laughs> and I don't know, I was, like, so full of adrenaline and so happy to be let out that um, I didn't even, like, really fully process what had happened. I just I went to my mailbox today and I got this letter... I can read it, I guess. Um, Dear Muslima, I'm terribly sorry you were inconvenienced on returning to the U.S., but recognize that you come from a country, Sudan, that was designated as long ago as 1993 by the State Department as a sponsor of terrorism. Recognize also that Americans don't owe you anything, and that you're fortunate to be here receiving an education. Coincidentally, I've been to Sudan, a shitty asshole run by a maniac, Khartoum stank of piss and most likely still does, but I have no trouble getting Johnny Black at prices even lower than what one generally finds in Cairo. Like I always say, if you want a ready supply of whiskey, go to an Islamic Republic. The next time you fly on a jet or use a computer or a smartphone, won't you take a moment to incant a prayer for the poor, maligned white man? After all, you live in a world that he made. And was signed and, you know, address on it and everything. Anyway, it's just I just got it like a couple of minutes ago, so <laughs> I mean, I've gotten my share of like hate mail, like through Facebook and email and, you know, for every like hateful message that I've gotten, I've gotten probably five to 10 messages of support and love. And people say to me, you know, like, I'm glad you're the one who's speaking.
0: This land is your land by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. This is Democracy Now! democracynow.org. The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez.
1: As we continue our coverage of Donald Trump's executive order, we're joined uh, by Nasreen El Amin, a PhD student. In- My uh, uncle,
3: he's 98. I was on the you know front of the newspaper in Sudan too, and he clipped all of the like newspaper articles and like listened to the Democracy Now! interview, and he said, you know. Um, Like, she speaks in a way that people have to listen. There's a way in which my dad said, you know, they hit the wrong person. They thought probably, you know, this, like, barely five foot tall, you know, (laughs) Sudanese woman was going to keep her mouth shut, but my daughter's not going to keep her mouth shut, you know. So there's that. I mean, I've been an activist all my life. I'm used to speaking out against injustices.
2: Chaos at New York's JFK International Airport. Hundreds of people protested the detention of at least a dozen travelers, including Harvard graduate and PhD candidate at Stanford, Nizrin el who told us by phone about being handcuffed and detained.
3: I felt a lot of shame and guilt, actually. You know, I think shame around the fact that I have a lot of privilege that a lot of people who have been put in this position don't have, right, just being... Being a green card holder, being someone who, you know, is affiliated with Stanford, uh, you know, um, I'm sure even actually in my detention, there's a way in which I got treated better than other people who didn't, who couldn't pull, you know, that affiliation out. What happened to me is something that happens on a daily basis to people coming through borders. Um what was exceptional about it is that I have a green card so you know and of course and I was one of the first people to be detained under the order so there was a lot of media attention on my on my story I Was at a teaching yesterday one of the panelists with me is is a Japanese American man who's 83 years old um he was talking about uh, his internment as an 8-year-old he was interned for 2 years in Colorado after I spoke he held my hand and he said You know, he said he was really proud of me for, like, speaking out. And he said, you know, I want you to not internalize what they're saying about you. Because it took me a lifetime to undo, you know, what I internalized as a child. There's like a narrowing of belonging that's happening, right? And I think what we need to do as human beings in the U.S. is to broaden that. And we have to use that to say, because of our history we now need to move forward and resist in a different direction. Like we can't move back, you know? People have, you know, sacrificed so much for us to be at this point and there's so much still for us to do. Um, And we can't let,
1: yeah, we, we, we can't let people take that away from us. On its surface, it makes sense. You want to know who's coming into the United States. But when you require that people coming in must be fluent in English before they get here, that reads like white supremacy to many immigrant communities that would be targeted.
3: That's it for this edition of Making Contact. The arrival, Trump's travel and refugee ban. Special thanks to Nisran Abdelrahman, Helvia Taina, Anli Herring, Eileen Williams, The Stanford Storytelling Project, and Jake Warga. Managing Editor of the podcast, State of the Human. I'm your host and this edition's producer, Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.
1: Hello, this is Dab Stedman with Voices for the Animals. Before Courtney Scott introduces today's guest, I want to mention that we have a special premium gift for those making a donation during this program. So please let us hear from you so that you can claim your copy of Dr. Laurel Neme's riveting book, animal investigators how the world's first wildlife forensics lab is solving crimes and saving endangered species so to support kboo or to become a member or make a donation just call us at 877-500-5266 now here's courtney with today's program Actually, it'll be me just trying to encourage and exhort and uh, perhaps even enliven people into becoming a member here at KABU. The fact that you're going to have this program here, Voices for Animals, is just one of the many reasons why you want to support this community, gym. Any city, any municipality, any state, any country that has an unfettered press has a stronger populace why because we will bring you news and information that is not geared to focusing you tighter on a particular governmental administration or on a particular uh, corporation and corporate rule but rather more into understanding how all of these various factors government, economics, uh, sociology uh, even just basic studies of people uh, let you know it, it gives you the information you need to make informed decisions you're not caught by the whim of false news, alternative facts No, you're able to get people who are passionate about various things that are occurring in our life on our planet. They dig deeply into them and they bring you news. And you know what else? Because we're your neighbor. We also listen to you when you take issue and want more information or news or maybe have a a, a contrasting view. Now that's not something you get on other media facilities. They don't want to give you that opportunity. You're either a yes person or you are cut off the air. But here on KBOO, we make a point of listening to those other voices so that they know, they know for a fact that what we're bringing to them is news and it's balance. 877-500-5266 is what you can do to keep that balance in effect. So, yeah,
0: and do it right now. You know, we really need your dollars to stay on track to meet our goal. And the reason you should care about that is our goal is formulated to make sure that this radio station can do all of the work it needs to do in terms of the equipment, the power that comes into the station, etc. And so we need your dollars to do that. This community has supported KBO for fifty years. Please become a part of that effort. If you've been part of that effort, <clears throat> excuse me. In the past, um, and you haven't had, you know, you haven't made a donation in a recent times, and you're not an ongoing member. Please take a moment right now to become a renewing member. The number to call is eight seven seven five zero zero. 5266. You know, membership has been great during this drive, and this morning has been great. The uh, dollars have been rolling in, but it's gotten a little quiet in the last half hour, and I know that's not because the programming isn't appreciated. So please, take a moment right now. Keep us on track towards our goal. You do really make a difference with your dollar. Every event you've heard about here, every great idea or author or book you've heard here, so have... Tens of thousands of others. That makes a difference in the community. It's 877 500 5266. And you know, just any one of you who calls in today will get entered into our sweepstakes. The prize today is two tickets to the Literary Arts 2017 2018 Portland Arts and Lecture Series at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. We will enter you in that just for calling us. So please become a member at the $10 a month level, I'll say. And also enter the for the sweepstakes, but get a prize. You know, our phone answers over there can tell you of at least five different things that we would love to give you for having contributed yes. at the $10 a month level. Please do, do that now. Do
1: it's, it now. You can do it online, you know.
0: Yeah, at kboo.fm. Yeah. And we could thank Miriam, who,
1: who uh, she gave online at kboo.fm. Thank you, Miriam.
0: Miriam. We always appreciate that.
1: Yes. And we are also th- uh, thank you I believe it's Tori from
0: Portland who's a renewing member. Every one of you that calls makes a difference. Maybe you're brand new to Portland and you've only been listening a bit and you're getting intrigued. Well, stay intrigued and make... You know, put your roots down deeper by becoming a member of KBOO. When you're new to Portland, it takes a little while to find your footing. Well, find a lot of your footing right here at KBO Find it faster. Yeah, yeah faster. <laughs> yes. And you'll also know more about the breadth and depth of your community. It's 877 877- five zero zero five two six six you know my sister lives up in seattle and they have public radio up there and they have one yeah, station have, that plays uh, yeah, amy goodman KEXP.
1: Yeah. but they don't
0: have anything like KBOO. no nothing like uh, she's a political activist and i can tell you she would love to have a KBO in seattle I-, I think you know why so call us right now at Come down to our station. If you'd rather do it in person, we'd be happy to give you a tour as we take your check and sign you up. Mm -hmm. It's 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, a half a block off of Inner East Side Burnside.
1: Can't miss it. Beautiful blue building with a wonderful community mural. A
0: huge bright mural on the wall.
1: And done by you for you. So support you. K-B-O-O, KBOO, 877-500-5266. Make your pledge right now.
4: KWU's Fall Drive Daily Prize Drawing Rules. Everyone who donates will be entered into the daily prize drawing. No purchase necessary to be entered. Making a purchase or contribution will not improve an individual's chance of winning. The prize drawing is subject to all applicable federal, state, and local laws and regulations. Void where prohibited or restricted by law or regulations. To enter, call 877-500-5266 between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. and provide your name, complete address with zip code date of birth, and day-evening phone numbers with area code. Only one entry per person per household will be accepted each day. Winner will be determined in a random drawing daily between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Winner may be notified by telephone the following day. For a copy of official prize drawing rules and restrictions, and for the name of the winner, go to kboo.fm forward slash fall daily prize. And thank you.
0: Welcome to Voices for the Animals on KBOO Portland with your host, Courtney Scott. Today we are joined by animal rights activist Danny Rukin, who is an organizer for Direct Action Everywhere. Danny makes her impassioned voice.